Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to Beginner's Bagpipe with Margaret Kildre. <laughs> I'm your host, Margaret Kildre, and I don't know how to play bagpipes, but today you're going to hear me try. Wait, no. Hear me out. What if instead we have part two of the popular Olympics with James Stout on cool people who did cool stuff? I like that How does that idea. sound, everyone? Yeah? Sounds More than the bagpipe idea? Sounds smart. Yeah. James and okay. Margaret do bagpipe would be a good podcast, so I think we should probably pitch that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Greenlit. Mm-hmm. Thanks, All Sophie. Right. Excellent. Well, we just got to get through this, and then from now on, we're only playing bagpipes and annoying my neighbors in the mountains, because that's the fun thing about if I started playing bagpipes is that I live in the mountains, and it will echo throughout I was going to expense it to, uh, so we could move to Scotland. Oh, kind of bothy okay. And, oh. Yeah. 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 Raise Highland cattle. Thanks, Daddy I Heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big Daddy I Heart. <laughs> Paying for shit we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> the I Heart motto. That's why you have to listen to adverts sometimes. Yeah, Being, so that we can raise yes. cattle. Mm-hmm. And the sacrifice you make for us. Pentathlon of yeah, shit kicking. Yeah. The sex, sextathlon, the sixth yeah, event yeah. is shit yeah. kicking. See anarchist triathlon as shin kicking, bagpipes, and cattle raising. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm Margaret Kiljoy. This is cool. People did cool stuff. You my are. producer is Sophie Lichterman. The my guest is James Stout. James, how are you doing? I'm good, actually. I'm happy. We've, we've had a break. Uh, it, uh, we've bagpiped. Yeah, it's been a it's a whole separate day. What are you talking about? No, no, I don't. I, I bagpiped since then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, but, totally. And uh, our audio production is done by Ian. The theme music was written by Unwoman. And this is part two of a thing. So if if this makes no sense to you, well, what we've said so far doesn't make sense to anybody, probably including us. But you should go back and listen to part one. If you don't go back and listen to part one, I, I can't tell you uh, how how much I will never trust you. How could you trust someone who comes in to the second part of a two-parter you could. As if, no. No. 
I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. And you know, maybe everyone's different. You have your own way of doing things and that's fine. James yep. is actually the host today and I'm just rambling. James, how are yeah, you doing? Where good. are we at? What's happening? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, what's happening? All right. Well, we're just going to kick off. What's happening? Yeah, you've listened to the, you listened to the last part, you know, the Spanish Civil War is starting, right? So mm-hmm. at 5.15 in the morning, the radio announced, people of Barcelona, the moment we feared has arrived. The army has betrayed its word and honor and has risen against the Republic. For this, citizens of Barcelona, a time of great decisions and great sacrifices has arrived. Destroy this fascist army. Every citizen must live their duty. Long live the Generalitat. Long live Catalonia. Long live the Republic. Which is a pretty cool thing for a radio to say. Yeah. So <laughs> with this, the, uh, the game slipped into hindsight and the war assumed its position. It's the only thing that really mattered for the next three years. Um, Eduardo Vivancos wrote uh, much later, uh, what could have been a great people's or popular Olympics in Barcelona, prepared with vision and enthusiasm by people of great spirit who believed in Olympic and human ideals, was lost. And for many of the athletes who'd spent a few days before the Games enjoying the city's nightlife and meeting other anti-fascist athletes, it wasn't a total surprise, right? Uh, they, they talked to their local translators, they talked to the people who were hosting them, and the rumors of this coup had been going around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Many of these people had fought fascists in their own countries before, right? Um, there's, there was a German sprinter. Do you know who Muriel Ruckheiser is? No, he's a German sprinter. No, no, no. Muriel Ruckheiser oh, is a. a, a <laughs> the, the, <laughs> she is the, uh, the, the, um, the, the love interest of the German sprinter. Oh, okay. <laughs> German sprinter is called Otto Bock. Which, Magpie you know. tried, though. Magpie was yeah, like, she, I'm, I'm I like to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so proud of her. I shouldn't have shut that down. He's a, like a, he's a member of like Antifa with a capital A, right? Okay. Like, like like when Antifa was organized by the KPD. So lots of these people have, have pretty Wait, but who is she? She's an American Jewish author who uh, was sent to cover the games by Esquire. Oh, okay. They end up wow. stuck on a train just outside of Barcelona. And then they watch this village that they're, that they're stuck in go through it, its own tiny revolution. Right, and it, wow. it, it's suddenly run by the people. Suddenly, it's an anarchist village. Now it's run by the people of the village, right? And uh, then they go into Barcelona, and, and he he joins, and uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later. Okay, uh, it, it's it's this is all written in her book Savage Coast, which is a very good book that almost no one has read, but it's a fantastic book, and everyone should read it. It's kind of a novelized version uh, of her relationship with this guy. Oh, cool. So. Barcelona pretty much at this point becomes what George Orwell called a city where the working class within the saddle, right? And some of the athletes took a liking to what they saw and they didn't like fascism. So they decided that uh, it was worth joining the fight that woke them up that morning. So the US team was led by 32-year-old Abraham Alfred Chick Chaikin. Everyone calls him Chick, right? So mm-hmm. like so many of the foreigners who would flood to Spain to fight, Chaikin was Jewish. His parents had taken him and his two siblings out of Russia when he was just nine months old to look for a better life in the USA. They had another daughter after they arrived, and Chick grew up with two sisters and an older brother. His parents had left Europe to flee anti-Semitism, and soon he would return to fight it. So I want to read a little bit here from this guy called Piet Ackerman, who was another Jewish volunteer who fought in the Spanish Civil War, that his explanation of why uh, around 30% of the Americans who fought in the Spanish Civil War were Jewish. That makes sense. Yeah, and about 10%, 10 to 20% of the, all the foreign volunteers were Jewish. The pursuit of money is also the pursuit of power. Have not 99% of the pogroms in the world 
been organized so as to distract attention from the misery of the people by provoking hatred towards the Jews. While those who are really responsible, the authors of misery, laugh in secret because instead of attacking their power, people slaughter the Jews. Your children, however, have not tolerated this. They have not stooped and they will not stay silent. That rules. Yeah, Piet Ackerman's an incredibly based dude. Him and his brother both die uh, early on in the Spanish Civil War, but his his mother was very conservative and remained very sort of religiously conservative, and he was extremely radical, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, by the end of his life, was, was writing to his mother. To, she was destroyed by the fact that both her, her young sons went to fight and, and both died. Uh, and, and him writing back, being like, we're not so different. You're like, we're not as yeah. different as you think. It's it's really, like, it literally, like, I remember reading those and it, it literally made me cry. Like, it's incredibly fucking sad and so human. No, that that's really interesting to me because you do get this, like, when we talk about different um, different communities that are economically disenfranchised mm-hmm. uh, or different communities that are oppressed in different ways, and I feel like um, Jewish folks have to deal with this a lot, specifically the, like, what I was talking about last time about the, like, Schrodinger's, you know, bad guy where you're yeah. either a communist or a capitalist, depending on whatever. But it, it is, it's it's systems of trying to have power within a system that has denied you that power. So it, it, I really like that, that he's saying, like, look, we have a lot in common. We're trying to reclaim power. I mean, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I don't know. It's interesting to me. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, There are some amazing uh, like Jewish socialists uh, from mandatory Palestine who, or most of them have been kicked out of mandatory Palestine by the British, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, and they're like anti-Zionist, some of them, and they, they end up fighting in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, and they're like these amazing people. Or like the, the, the German workers, the Yiddish, um, it's called the Yiddish Arbeitersport Club, um, who had all decamped en masse to Paris by that time. Like, yeah. Some really amazing stories. There are some good books about it too. So by 1936, Al was an accomplished fighter. He'd wrestled at Cornell and narrowly missed out on Olympic selection in 1924. The two US athletes who did go to 1924 Olympics won gold and silver. After graduating on September 25th, 1926, with a bachelor's degree in education, he won the 1927 Amateur Athletic Union Niagara District Wrestling Championships. That was an Olympic qualifying game. And again, he got to... Uh, try out for the Olympics, didn't quite make it. Mm-hmm. Despite his success, he didn't qualify for the 1928 games, uh, perhaps because of his persistent knee injury, and he decided to put aside his Olympic dreams and opt for a <laughs> career in education. And by 1935, he was 31 years old and he began a master's degree. Uh, and he was teaching university, he physical education at the City University of New York. And he was married to a woman named Jenny Berman. Uh, they actually hyphenated their names uh, rather than her taking his name which was, was pretty That's ahead of their night. time. Yeah, they were very, uh, like, they, they use the word progressive, actually. The word progressive yeah. it would be the word they would use for themselves. And so, yeah, they were extremely progressive. She was a much more experienced activist than him. She was a social worker and a communist. Uh, she graduated from Syracuse in 1925 and headed directly to the city to begin organizing for the Communist Party. And in the year before they married, she made headlines when she left New York's Jewish community social services agencies and a walkout for union recognition. But she's she's a pretty cool, pretty cool person. Yeah. Um, he was deeply influenced by her convictions, became active in his union and joined his campus anti-fascist association. In 1935, his, uh, his union had voted for a complete boycott of the Berlin Games because they refused to send athletes to a country that had discrimination as a national policy. So by the time... 
yeah, yeah, it seems like a good call. It seems like everyone <laughs> should have listened to them. He was also very used to coaching people by the time the Popular Olympics came around, right? Like both uh, like teaching at the university and coaching wrestling. So he was the natural choice to lead the team, right? But it must have still been kind of nervous for him. Uh, like his, he hadn't been wrestling for a while. He was out of shape. And he's going mm. as like athlete and coach. Uh, he's still got this knee issue. He has to like squat down and pull his knee back in. <laughs> Which, okay, he's, if you look at this dude, he is very clearly hard as fucking nails. Like, yeah. Sounds never like has it. a man had a flatter nose. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just, yeah, he's, I'll, I'll send you a picture of him later. But some of his teammates he would have known, right? Irving Jenkins, who was a heavyweight boxer, was um, still at Cornell when they left for the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, the organizers placed a big emphasis on having black folks from the United States come. And if you look at the posters for the games, um, there's one on my wall, but you can't see it. Uh, the posters feature like a people of different races walking together and carrying flags, uh, but they're like Catalan flags and popular front flags into the stadium. And they were really invested in this idea of like different genders, different races all competing together as part of the popular front, which like, yeah. if you look at the Berlin Olympics, it, it's mostly naked white dude, right? Like, like the, the whole propaganda is like uh, it looks like the Chippendales kind of. Yeah, like it's buff white dude in <laughs> buff white dude in thong. So uh, some of the other folks were Doc Tucker. She was a sprinter and a union leader in Harlem. She was the only black woman on the team. Uh, she's joined by Frank Payton, who's also a sprinter and boxer, who with uh, Charlie Burley. Charlie Burley's kind of an interesting guy. He was younger than everyone else, thirteen years younger than Chaykin, and. He had a pretty difficult upbringing. He was a what mixed race. What sport did he play? He was a boxer. That's the perfect name for a boxer. <laughs> yeah, it is. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, let's yeah. continue. In a rough up life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Burley Charlie. Um, his dad was a black coal miner. His mother was an Irish woman from County Cork. And uh, he began to box at the age of 12. He won a junior national title in the Golden Gloves competition. And he was seen as kind of the big hope for... US mm-hmm. boxing he only narrowly lost the senior competition in 1926 but he refused to try out for the Berlin games he wasn't going to go to to Berlin make the race his country and compete and so they invited him the last minute to Barcelona right they left on a ship called the Transylvania on the 3rd of July 1936 and another of the athletes was called Burley Dantrick he was a gymnast um Bernie not Burley and uh, mm-hmm. he kept a diary he writes about the food on board. He said, we're being treated very nicely. And he said, since we're on the road to fame, everyone's being very kind, basically. They would start up, Chaka made them get up early every morning and run around the deck to stay fit. And, uh, <laughs> the, While he like sits on a fucking like chair on the, <laughs> no, in the sun. He's like, yeah. yeah. He would I've spar. seen this rom-com. I like this rom-com. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Would be yeah. a good rom com. Uh, he and the, the two other Earth Jenkins, Charlie Burley and Al Chicken, would all fight on the deck. <laughs> they uh, and then uh, Bernie Janchik was very pissed off because there wasn't a high bar in the gym, so he'd just fuck around with the banisters and stuff. Uh, so you can imagine <laughs> it's just like uh, this kind of bunch of crazies on the boat. Uh, they caused a lot of problem when they would go into dinner, right? Because they they. They found that their table kept getting moved. And normally, on I guess, on these long boat trips, I, I'm not a, not a person who goes on long boat trips, but uh, you have like an assigned table, you sit there every day. But they okay. kept moving the table for the Popular Olympics team. And uh, they worked... Because they're they, too rowdy? Or because uh, ra- people are racists? Those yes, the only two because things. people were racist. Ah, fuck. 
So it was the, the racism caused some rowdiness. Fair. So they uh, they refused to uh, they refused to move the table anymore, and they refused to segregate the tables. So, um, cool. That worked out for them. Unfortunately, they there's a ping pong tournament for everyone aboard the ship, I guess, and. It's the Bernie Danchik writes about this in his diary. It's interesting to hear it from his perspective, right? He's a Jewish guy from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Communist Party in the United States in the 1930s has thoroughly embraced the cause of black folks in the United States, right? And yeah. It's genuinely invested in this. And he's read about it a lot and like it's also invested in this. But they were, I guess they were playing ping pong one night and he realizes that the like Frank Payton, Charlie Burley team are gonna win. He's like, hell yeah, we're gonna fucking show them like they're gonna be owned. And then they like throw the game. And uh, he's very upset by this. He's like, oh, I see what's happened. Like, they don't want to win. They don't want to cause a fuss. Like, that's oh, really shit. fucked up. Like, yeah. he writes, it hurts to see what happens in his diary. The, the black athletes throw the game. Yeah. Such yeah. that they don't, yeah. like, cause a deal with all the rich passengers. Right, because they've, they've learned how to navigate life as a, yeah. Yeah, they've learned the sort of code switching and things that they have to do. And Bernie Danchik, yeah. who's this, this, this Jewish guy from New York, is like... Mm-hmm damn, that's fucked up. Um, so that when they got there, they made sure that they had all the black athletes standing at the front for all the photographs and uh, like yeah. put them forward for interviews and such when they got to England um, because they, they, they like you can see him having this realization. I think it's really interesting. Well, and so s- it, because it sounds like when things are, when you present things in the, when you see things in the totally modern context, you could be like, okay, this seems like also a lot of like tokenization and stuff, right? Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, we're going to make sure that everyone's marching together with the flags. And it's just like really interesting, you know, there's this like fine line and they're like living in this very different context where it seems like to me as a, yeah. as a white girl, that this is a very positive thing that they're doing, um, that it's by having the, the black people in front and having, you know, the games having very intentionally like uh, diverse photos and things like that. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. it seems like this is before it gets like all twisted into the current weird liberal hell version of that. Yeah, like because it's not just representation politics, right? Mm-hmm. It's also like, oh, like if someone wants to kill you because of the way because of who you are, then I will kill them first. Like that, which is yeah. what they okay. end up doing, right? Like it, it's yeah. not they don't right. stop. That is what, yeah, that is literally <laughs> yeah. what they end up doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't stop at the photograph, right? Like their their yeah. response. I it's, I think it's interesting that he like sees maybe for the first time ever like like racism happening to his friend, and his response is like, I how can I show solidarity with this person and like what. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I think it, 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 yeah, it's interesting that them negotiating that space is really interesting in his diary. Um, I, I want to write another book about all of this. So I have a lot of sources here. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, hopefully. I want to do biographies of each of these people. So they, they arrive in Britain, they take a train through France, uh, and they have the best time in Barcelona, right? Like they're going out to bars, they're going out to clubs, they're meeting like, you know how it is. Like when you're young and yeah. you travel and you meet a bunch of other people who believe in the same shit you believe in, you're like, oh, it's amazing. Like, and I kind of, I literally can't imagine a better time and place to be alive than what you're describing. No, it sounds like, amazing. If you've been brought up being like, oh, sport isn't for you, you're on the left, sport isn't for you, you give a fuck about things that aren't sport. And then like, you're here are 20,000 people. You're yeah. in like Barcelona, which is, is you know, the revolutions in the air. And yeah, so yeah. I think they, they chicken sort of struggles to keep them training. Uh, you can see it's sort of like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, they're just so going to get drunk and fuck. 
<laughs> yes, they absolutely want to get drunk and fuck. They are like yeah. because se- sex work is legal, right? And unionized, yeah. and so they're going to the brothel or to whatever the the, the place mm-hmm. where you, you can pay people for sex work, and uh, they're having a great time. And like they're uh, yeah, they're enjoying it. At about five fifteen, this radio announcement comes on, right? And they start hearing shooting in the street. <laughs> and his 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 diary entry for this day is comes the revolution with revolution in block capitals. <laughs> So they all go and stand on the bars of their balcony and they watch the battle raging. They don't, he also wrote in his diary that other things like they don't do things by halves out here. And, and they. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't fucking around. Yeah. Jesus yeah, like, like, Christ. What if we're so progressive hard. that we don't have a government? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Millions of people will fight for this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. People, including some of you. Yeah. Uh, so they kept looking, they, they were so fascinated by what was going on. They kept looking out the window and then like snipers would think they were other snipers and shoot at the window. So they'd like go mm. to another room and look out the windows. <laughs> <laughs> I would stop. I yeah, think. <laughs> some of us would stop. Uh, they would, yeah. at one point there's a lull in the firing and they go out and somehow are able to convey that they are athletes for the Olympics and everybody stops shooting so they could go and get some food. Uh, they, <laughs> both, they, both sides are like... A bit, he just wrote in his diary, they stopped the war so that we can pass. Uh, which is a real uh, like Moses moment, I guess. So once they've, they've been out, they realize that like the situation, right? The barricades where things are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Burley, he's been in town for about a week. He doesn't speak Spanish. Uh, weapons are in very short supply. Most of the people at the barricades don't have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he grabs a crowbar, starts levering up stones from the cobbled road, and helping people build barricades. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly cool. So these guys are all drawn to help. You can look at pictures. It's really interesting. You look at pictures of July 19th, 1936. You can see these barricades built and then popular Olympics posters in the background. Like, okay. And people, like, there's, there's one of like people hiding behind the ticket booth, like, firing their little mouses out and... It's very cool. So by the evening, the coup had been defeated. The next day, the anarchists would uh, finish the job, storming the barracks and seizing thousands of rifles. This is when lots of the anarchists die because their tactic was mainly to just run towards danger, uh, which <laughs> has like limited tactical prowess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Margaret and I, yeah, we had another episode about this. So some incredibly cool things happen. Like they roll out rolls of newsprint from the newspaper factory and use them as an impromptu barricade to fire from behind, uh, which is very cool. So you can actually see as well, like sometimes you can see at the barricade, people are like um, that, that newsprint, that newspaper, right? Would, it would have printed newspapers that would have gone out the newspapers went out the night before to be read that day. So you can mm-hmm. see things which were written speculatively being like, the opening ceremony was a great success. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. We yeah, stopped. Yeah, yeah. The opening yeah. ceremony was we stopped a yeah. fascist coup. Yeah. like uh, <laughs> They came there to do anti-fascism. So I guess it was a great success. Yeah. Um, so in the next few days, industries were nationalized, vehicles expropriated from the homes of the plotters. Militia columns were formed from the various unions and the popular front took on a physical form as the columns marched off to Zaragoza to fight. Uh, the remaining athletes paraded through the city, singing the international in various languages, led by Scottish bagpipers. <laughs> so, that's our goal. We can play the international for uh, All right. podcast. Um, so sadly, not everyone was so lucky. Uh, a French athlete had been shot in the first hours of the coup. 
The British wanted to leave immediately and offered the Americans a place on their ship. The United States consulate, so they went to the consulate to be like, uh, what should we do? Yeah. Uh, the consulate was like, you leave today or we're, like, we're washing our hands of you, basically. That's they fair, just, honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Like, look, if you're trying to get yeah. out, you got to get out right now. Otherwise, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was a boat for them. Uh, Bernie Danchik's diary is incredibly funny. He's like a kid who had to like go home from summer camp early. He wrote, <laughs> all of my Spanish pals have left for Zaragoza and Valencia in the army. <laughs> like, womp yeah. womp. He's, he's sad. They went to one bar for a final time and then uh, said goodbye to the city. Um, but in the days that followed, not everyone left. About 400 athletes decided to take up arms and stay and fight for the Republic. Uh, and I want to talk about some of them for the rest of this episode. Fuck yeah. Uh, do you know but, who probably won't take up arms and, and kill fascists? Because they don't have arms, because they have little turtle legs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking about the ads. The kinds of people who advertise on the show are unlikely yeah. to... You could mount a, a weapon on a turtle if you wanted to. Uh, they have a decently high armor class, but... Um, mm-hmm. on the Stable, other... too. That's true. Wide base. Yeah, that's true. Slow and steady yeah. wins the race. Uh, that's what they say. The turtle tank. We are brought to you by Turtle Tank. <laughs> yeah. Genetically engineered monsters on our side. Yeah. You ever want to see a turtle yeah. eat a Nazi? Turtle Tank. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Boston Dynamics doesn't know that was coming. <laughs> no, that's the uh, the other side uses robots. We have yeah, genetically no, engineered yeah, monsters. Yeah. It's like Red Wall meets, uh, I don't know, Warhammer. <laughs> Okay, here's that. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
All right, we're back. That was an advert for Turtle Tank. Please buy one. So one of these guys is called Bill Scott. Uh, His actual name is Willoughby, which is a belting name. But uh, (laughs) he he went by Bill for probably obvious reasons. (laughs) He's a Protestant bricklayer whose father had fought in the Irish Citizen Army in the Easter Rising. Uh, He himself had fought with the IRA. Uh, and he travelled to the to the games to represent a free and independent Ireland. So one of the one of the things about the games was people com- competed as nations and not states. Yeah. So like the exiled Jews of Europe, like if you're a German Jewish person, you don't really want to be competing for Germany, given the the general vibes <laughs> in 1936 uh-huh. yeah, Germany. It's just yeah, yeah, it's just bad. Vibes. Yeah, no one could quite pick up on it, but this bad shit was going down. Um, yeah. So they decided to compete as the exiled Jews of Europe, right? Like as mm-hmm. a group, uh, the, uh, the colonized people weren't going to compete for their colonizer, right? So they, mm-hmm. and, and Ireland, it's a colonized country, right? So they're not going to compete for the colonizer. He had presumably had his enough of uh, repressive regimes and repression of national identity after he was imprisoned by the British military. Uh, and so he decided he was going to stay in Spain. He's, he's an experienced fighter. He doesn't like fascists. And- yeah, I mean, that... Makes sense. You're an IRA fighter, like yeah. yeah. A large number of IRA men fought in the uh, in the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. Uh, also, a number of Irish Catholics went to join uh, Franco. The fascists, and, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. They actually also did a very good job of shooting fascists. I heard that yeah. they they didn't mean to. It's a, it's a major difference. <laughs> you, know, you know, you say they didn't mean to, but uh, I like to believe. Yeah, they had a moment of realization. So <laughs> Yeah, we can we can have that one for ourselves. And like, okay, and this is like an important thing to think about, is like because I think we oversimplify Irish struggle as like Catholic versus Protestant, which is mm-hmm. like not fucking true. No. And so yeah, you're like this Protestant IRA fighter went and fought for the Republic, you know. Yeah. Versus yeah, like go ahead. People of Catholic heritage also fought for the Republic and like yeah. a, a th- Famously, an institution which burned churches and disinterred nuns. Yeah, like yeah. It's, that's what which you know is based. But that's another one that gets me banned from Twitter quite a lot. Actually, is the burned church with the disinterred nuns. Um, See, I, I I would actually hold that's like part of why we threw the twentieth century is that um, by being like so obsessively materialist. I understand why people were being like fuck the Spanish Catholic Church, right? It was yeah. like this oppressive institution or whatever. But like, I think when it just became this like. Therefore, only militant atheists need apply. Everyone who's not a militant atheist is like, uh, okay, I guess I got to go fight on that other side. Yeah, that's fair. So interestingly, like, if you look at the churches they burned, people very rarely burnt churches in their village or neighborhood. They like went to the other <laughs> church yeah. and like, the churches where the priests had been like genuinely like compassionate, even though they didn't yeah. disagree, tended not to get burned. Also, uh, lots of the churches in Barcelona were used as sniper's nests by the fascists. Yeah, uh, so that that one's getting burned. No, and uh, yeah, and a lot of the priests were like specifically working with the fascist regime, and then like I'm under the yeah. impression, and you would know more about this, that in the Basque yeah. country, um, the the like anti-church stuff didn't really happen because the church wasn't on the fascist side as much in the Basque. Well, the country. car the Carlists who were part of that were on the fascist side. Um, oh, okay. But, um. But- Okay. Yeah, anyway. but they were like radical Catholics. Um, we'll talk about Carlos in a day. They suck. Um, okay. The, like people whose whole thing is like some niche argument about royal lineage, uh, and, and they're prepared to die for that. So, uh, <laughs> which they did, fortunately. Uh, <laughs> Everyone gets what they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They get to meet the guy that they're so big into. Yeah. 
So Bill Scott fights in the Tom Manson Turia. What happens is that in the days after the coup, Mm-hmm. These national groups organize into what are called centuria, which are like it, 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 it's a word from Roman legions. Yeah, a, cent- a cent- century. Yeah, a hundred people. Yeah, which they weren't, uh, but they're broadly based on like uh, you have like the Botwin centuria who are largely Jewish. Um, we have Gustavo Stozzi, the Italians. Uh, Tom Mann are uh, English speaking. Uh, so it, it, they're broadly based on language groups, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, I think the Commune of Paris, Centurio, was a, was a French one. That's sick. Yeah, they, yeah they, there was a Salomon, which was German-speaking. Uh, Ernst Salomon was the like the leader of Antifa when it was uh, like, like a KPD organization. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent 11 years in solitary confinement in a concentration camp. Um, was Fuck. killed in 1944. Yeah, his, his, he got it fucking rough. Um the uh, the the prelude to the popular Olympics, they did like a trial event, and it was called the Thalaman Cup, uh, like in sort of recognition of him. Yeah, and so Bill Scott got shot in the throat uh, and returned home to stand for election as a candidate for the Communist Party of Ireland. How many how many people survived? Because Orwell got shot in the throat yeah, and survived yeah, yeah. this. Is this just like a throat shooting competition? Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Clearly, I, I don't know what quite Aim maybe for the like, throat. Yeah. It's yeah, not very effective. They, they always survive. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. They. Well, I think we've got a skewed sample here, Mark. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> might, might Survivor's bias might be impacting yeah, this. Yeah. All right. Um, so he, he gets booted out for like a, a Republican candidate. Uh, and so he returns to Spain. Uh-huh. Uh, it gets shot in the leg. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, um, it just, again, like, these people are fucking incredible. Yeah, he goes, never say die. Yeah, he goes back and then leaves the Communist Party because he's disgusted by the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact in 1941. Fuck yeah. Good. Um, which you see a lot of these people do exactly that. Like a yeah. lot of them leave in 41. And uh, from then until his death in 1988, he gives writes letters to editors and gives interviews talking about how like we've forgotten the memory of what the popular front was what the spanish civil war was what this moment was which is really cool like so, cool. another thing you see about these guys is they're dedicated to preserving their memory yeah another person i want to talk about and think this is a woman you may have confused with marina Genesta, is called fanny schoonheit okay Fanny Schoenheit is a Dutch woman. Uh, she kind of got bored of uh, living there and moved to Barcelona uh, because she, I think she wanted to be a, uh, a, a war correspondent, uh, but she wasn't really having much luck. She became a committed communist and she helped organize the games, right? She, she was one of the people who like, helped put it on. Okay. They had lots of lots of they had a very liberal asylum policy in the Republic, so you had a lot of anti-fascist Germans, Italians. So she probably stepped in a stadium the night before the games, like most of them did, which probably prevented her and thousands of others, or hundreds of others, from fascists turning up at their homes to kill them the next day. So instead, she said about killing fascists. As columns of soldiers marched from their barracks. Yeah, yeah, she was good at this point. Uh, marched from their barracks into Barcelona and left us across the city, grabbed guns they'd hidden away, or picked up the weapons from soldiers who had no further use for them. Barricades. <laughs> <laughs> because they were dead. <laughs> Barricades sprang up across the streets and snipers took up positions in rooftops and church towers. So somehow, at this point, Fanny Schoenheit manages to get a submachine gun. And I don't know how unless she had anarchist friends because the anarchists mm-hmm. fucking loved a submachine gun. <laughs> uh-huh. They loved to drive by shooting. Like they really did watch the films about Chicago and they were into it. Um, <laughs> 
And so, like, Daruti talks a lot about his machine pistol and how cool it is. <laughs> of course, he fucking does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, it's bank she... robber days. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what they were trying to be. Yeah. I want to quote here from an excellent article in The Volunteer by Yvonne Scholten, who's written a, a biography of Schoenheit. Um, in a letter to a friend in Rotterdam, she later described how she and her comrades entered the military barracks from the roof and how they confiscated the arms found there. I wore a rather conspicuous yellow shirt. It's a miracle they didn't shoot me, she said. But perhaps they were surprised to see me, that they forgot. They might have been surprised to see a lady in a yellow shirt with a submachine gun. But she was soon wearing a more conventional uniform in the militia. Like thousands of other people with little to no military experience, she joined the militia that day. And unlike many of them, she survived. Almost every newspaper in the city carried an interview with her and... And it, she became known as the queen of the machine gun in the Catalan press. I, uh, I want to keep liking her. I like her right now. Yeah, you're going to you just hold back on the machine. Well, I didn't look, fucking, she, she was young. She was doing a thing. Yeah. Sadly, she didn't always use her queen of machine gun powers for good. Yeah. But 1937, she'd become an officer in the People's Army. And the militias were gradually being regularized, made into a more... Mil- militarized another word under mm-hmm. soviet influence right a long-standing kidney issue brought her back from the front and it's really fucking annoying actually to read about this in the spanish press where they're like oh yeah her kidneys were bad and so she had to come back and to read about it sometimes it's written about like in a dutch press where they're like it was too much for her sensitive constitution <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. i mean like uh, if i only once in my life drop through the roof of a fascist place with not, no uniform and just a submachine gun and submachine gun a bunch of <laughs> bunch of guys and take all their guns. If I do that once in my life and then I'm done forever, like one, yeah, that, yeah, that's enough for anyone's sensibility. That's enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> like that's PTSD land. Even when you yeah. win, you know, <laughs> like you'll be seeing them dead people for the rest of your <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Even if they were bad people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, uh, one doesn't have to be particularly sensitive to be impacted by that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So she becomes a machine gun instructor, mm-hmm. um, teaching a bunch of other people to shoot machine guns. Uh, but in the events of May 1937, which uh, people will probably be familiar with, uh, as when communists and non-Stalinist communists, and the non-Stalinist communists were joined by the anarchists, fought in the street of Barcelona. People will maybe have read George Orwell's book, Homage to Catalonia. Uh, it's a good book. It's a good book worth reading. He mentions that in the central square of Barcelona, Plaza de Catalunya, uh, there's a landmark, which is the Hotel Colón. Orwell writes, the Hotel Colón, the headquarters of the Pasuk, dominated the plaza. In a window near the last O but one in, in the huge Hotel Colón that sprawled across its face, they had a machine gun that could sweep the entire square with deadly effect. Uh, unfortunately, it was probably Fanny Schoenheit who was manning this machine gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was machine gunning anarchists by, uh, by 1937. And other Marxists even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. other Marxist uh, people who weren't Trotskyists despite what you might read on twitter.com. Yeah. Yeah, it's rather sad. This split, it's, it's something like we can't go into in depth, but it's, this split is very sad. It's sort of the beginning yeah. of the end of the Catalan Revolution. Yeah. Oh, she did. Uh, she did spend time after she was injured in a car crash uh, in, in Tarragona. And um, when she was recovering, she had a brief relationship with Ramon Mercader, who is famous for killing Trotsky with an ice axe. Huh. Uh, so she, she's uh, she's lived a life. Yeah. And she uh, 
she, at some point, perhaps due to the fact that like uh, international newspapers couldn't fathom that a lady was going around machine gunning people. Okay, wait. So go back to the ice axe. Yeah. See, I always heard ice pick, and there is an object that is both of these things. Yeah. See, I said but, ice pick yesterday, and and friend of the show Robert Evans told me it was an ice axe. Well, no, because there is something. I imagine an ice axe with a pick. It could yeah, seem like yeah. a pick, right? But there's also an ice pick that's basically a screwdriver that you use to like clean ice out of something. And it makes so much more sense when you picture it with a handle and an ice. Uh, it, it all makes more sense now. Yeah, like it, like it, like you would use for climbing. Like you've got a self-arrest or whatever. You get yeah, there. I was imagining like, got to get him in the ear or something, you know, <laughs> like a little spike on a <laughs> with a handle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like boop. Yeah. <laughs> like gotta give him in the eye or yeah, whatever. You know, yeah, now I think it, it was a f- I, I think it was a fairly violent one. I think Yeah. I didn't I I haven't I I don't know enough about Trotsky to have known how he died no, besides I'm, that. Not a, anyway. Not a big Trotsky understand it, but um Yeah. Uh so she, yeah, she just moved to the Dominican Republic, didn't tell anyone what she'd been doing before and just like had a different life. Okay. After this. Um I do want to thank uh Anna van Velen for helping me translate some of the articles from Dutch about her. You know what, Margaret? Do you know who won't drive an ice tool into your skull? I mean, see, this is the thing: is like when we're talking about the advertisers, I don't feel confident saying. Yeah, the it's not. It's won't. not a given. But no, it's, yeah, turtles. I, I don't even know about. Re- the, I know, but the the turtle tank. They, they can't close their hands right because of their width to arm length ratio. They yeah, that's grasp true. an ice pick. So no, I that's true. Pretty safe, but. If you have a turtle tank and an ice axe, you could drive by ice axe people by jumping from the back mm-hmm. of the turtle tank. Oh, phenomenal stuff. Yeah. And do if it. you do it once, don't, you'll don't, have PTSD don't. for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll see. Because that killing people probably actually fucks you up. Yeah, it's not we're not supposed to do it. No. But turtle tank will help you if you decide you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be a pacifist, buy a turtle tank. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
you have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Turned out that for Altrekin, leaving on that ship wasn't so much goodbye as hasta pronto. He returned home to the home he shared with Jenny Berman. Uh, so I can even give you the address if you want. Uh, it was one street <laughs> over from the townhouse where Winston Churchill's grandparents had lived. Since uh, then, the area had uh, taken a turn for the worse, and uh, it certainly wasn't the sort of place where rich British people live. They lived in a tall, skinny block of flats in an area dominated by clothing manufacturing. Uh, they were close to Madison Square Park and to Madison Square Garden. When he came home, he attended lots of union rallies at Madison Square Garden. You can see evidence of that. When they came home, he obsessively followed news of Spain. But after a few months, he still felt pulled back. Even though he was speaking at fundraisers, he didn't Mm -hmm. feel like he was doing enough. So a year later, he decided to go back. He set sail on the 7th of July, 1937. Which guy is this again? I'm sorry. This is Al Chaykin. This is a dude with the flat nose. This is the... um... The wrestling coach. The coach. Okay, the one who, yeah. in my mind, was sitting on the lawn chair watching everyone else uh, run laps, but that is not actually yeah. the case. He was running laps with them. Yes. More hands-on. Yeah, seems to have been. Okay. Yeah, yeah more of a, more of a, uh, a leaded-by-doing kind okay. of guy. He's leaving on the 7th of July, 1937, which is uh, like a year and four days after he left the first time. Uh, he lands uh, exactly a year after the uprising began, and... From Casas, he takes a train to Albacete. Uh, on the train, you can read like these accounts of the international brigades coming down the train. People all along the route would would come and like wave and yeah. uh, try, be like super happy to see them and try and uh, try and trade oranges for cigarettes. <laughs> so they couldn't get. And uh, there are all these very funny accounts of international brigadiers like just getting crippling like uh, diarrhea from eating too many oranges. <laughs> their first military experience and and they went to Albacete where they trained uh, he joined what was called the Mackenzie Papineau Battalion that was being stood up in, in July of 1937 uh, they were better known as the Mac Paps although at this time most of the volunteers were from the United States uh, it was officially a Canadian uh, battalion okay. and most of them were working class men from areas like Nova Scotia right? Like, uh, a lot of them were Jewish as well and most of them had lost jobs in depression, educated themselves about the left, and decided to come and fight in international brigades. Their travel to Spain was illegal, but they felt the consequences of staying home were much worse. Yeah. They were, as international brigades units go, they were pretty old. Most of them were over 30 and highly motivated. So they're like people who are really in it to win it. They're not like, there were definitely people in the international brigades who were like, I'm 21, fuck it, why not? Right. Like, um, this wasn't one of those groups for the most part. And so they this, kind of. This is the, my parents are afraid of fascism. I'm afraid of fascism. I will destroy fascism. I'm going to go do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've spent my life fighting bears in Canada. Now I will come and fight fascists. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Canadians in the Spanish Civil War is fascinating. There was also like one of the first um, battlefield or bl- uh, like at least frontline blood transfusion uh, setups in the world. Wow. It was set up by a Canadian doctor. He would drive around in a Renault two ton van. Fuck yeah. And, <laughs> like it was like literally set up it was a milk truck inside, right? Just an old timey milk truck. Yeah. They would uh go and uh, deliver blood uh, blood transfusions to save soldiers' lives. Um so 
one of the articles that Chekin probably saw when he was in New York was George Steer's account of the bombing of Guernica, a place that I used to give tours to American kids. Uh, Jenny also probably read Steer's report. It was really like one of the pieces of reporting that changed people's perspective on the Spanish Civil War more than anything else. Even though other cities have been bombed all around the world, even though other cities were bombed in Spain, it was mm-hmm. that those images of little children thrown around like rag, rag dolls or columns of refugees marching out of town were the ones that really drove solidarity to Spain more than anything else. Um, okay. She probably also saw the poster featuring a, featuring a picture of a dead child and a squadron of flashes, fascist planes flying overhead. Um, that was the, if you tolerate this, your children will be next poster, which is a pretty famous fantasy civil war poster. And just true. Just yeah, literally yeah. true. Objectively true. It's also the name of a song by the Manx Street Preachers, uh, which is a very good song. Uh, that song is why I really got into Spanish Civil War stuff when I was like 15. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah, it, it was cool. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it remains true. It is true now. It was true then. And I think yeah. she definitely noticed the truth of that. So she came to Spain a month after Al. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she came in August. Women at that time weren't being taken as international volunteers. So she couldn't fight to defend those children. But what she could do was use the skills she had to help them. Because uh, remember, she was a social worker, right? Wait, I have no functional memory for names. Okay. Please tell me again so who she's, this is. She's his wife. Yes. Okay, great. But they hyphenate their names. Yeah. So I'm just using okay. their last name. Yeah, yeah. Berman Chaikin. Uh, so she comes a month after him. And along with five other women from the Lower East Side, she arrives in Spain. Uh, and she's going to work with the 200,000 children who have been made orphans by the war, right? Mm-hmm. These child refugees. Uh, she believed that art was an important way for children to process their traumatic experiences. And so her and her friends set up creating the first ever art therapy program for children in wartime. Holy shit. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, uh, The children made thousands of drawings. Uh, actually, Aldous Huxley wrote the... Uh, there's, a, there's an exhibit of these drawings and mm-hmm. the, uh, the catalogue was written by Aldous Huxley. Yeah, who was okay. actually pretty cool. Yeah, cool guy, good books. Uh, maybe read it. And so the drawings are pretty, pretty hard when you know what happened. They're pretty, pretty, pretty hard. So you can see them actually. They're at UC San Diego. Uh-huh. Um, there's an exhibit on the library website called They Still Draw Pictures. But like, uh, I used to go and look at these drawings all the time when I was there. But like her, they also have hope. <laughs> there's one amazing picture which shows a Spanish peasant. Uh, his cheeks are red, tank. his face. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> He's burying an axe deep in the head of a dragon wearing a swastika. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's got like if your child comes home from school having drawn that today, you have absolutely fucking aced it as a parent. Yeah. And uh, it, it doesn't matter what the teachers are telling you. Yeah. <laughs> like they're doing fine. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in San Diego, go and ask the special collections librarian nicely and you can go and see the. Uh, I want to see that picture. I got to. Yeah. Yeah, it's in it's on the Abraham Lincoln Brigade uh, veterans of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade website. Cool, cool. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm um, making a note for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It'll relevant to my interests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, the when he left Spain, uh, the slogan had been "No pasarán," right? They shall not pass. And the slogan changed to "Pasaremos." We shall pass. Uh, so at this point. He wasn't really capable of doing that much passing. His knee was so bad that he had to squat down and wrench it back into place whenever it dislocated. His wife, Jenny, considered telling the recruiters about this. She decided not to. When he arrived, 
things were in a pretty bad state with the International Brigade, the increasing like regularization under mostly Soviet control. Right, you have all these officers who are called Mexicans. Uh, they are not okay. Mexican. They're, they're from the Soviet Union, various parts of the Soviet Union. Some of them are white Russians, actually. Mm-hmm. So like the white Russians felt that if they volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War, they'd be allowed to return home. And so okay. you have this odd thing of like white Russians dedicated like Polish and Hungarian communists working together with Spanish anarchists to, to fight fascists and monarchists. Yeah. And but it, they seem to, to to have worked it out. The like early in the war, really, like it was it was anarchists doing really brave shit that had been integral to the success of the Second Republic's military strategy. By this point, that had stopped, and for the most part, those sort of left libertarian people were being actively persecuted. Right, there mm-hmm. were still anarchist units, there were still anarchist militia units, there were still anarchists in the International Brigade, but. Uh, the, the sort of the beginning of the end for the alliance between communism and anarchism. They're being persecuted by the well. communists, is what you're saying. That's correct. Yeah, yeah like the SIM, the uh, Servicio Inteligencia Militar, the Military Intelligence Service, probably uh, interrogated more anarchists than it did fascists. In fact, cool. That's a really good way were, to have a united front. Yeah, it's great. There were active fascist saboteurs in the headquarters of the uh, like Andre Marti, who ran the. International Brigade. Like there were fascist saboteurs um, from this French group. Actually, they were funded by the uh, L'Oreal Cosmetics Empire. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. Don't buy that stuff. They, they, they were actively sabotaging stuff. They'd put like sand into machine guns and shit. And they never got caught because the, the, they were so busy looking for anarchists. <laughs> it's so depressing. Is, yeah, it's so depressing. And then yeah, also finding ha- out that like all of the fucking high up communists who were like behind a lot of this repression then also got purged and fucked over and like yeah. killed by Stalin it's like daddy Stalin doesn't love you he's going to kill <laughs> yeah. all of you yeah. like he'll get you to kill the anarchists and then he's going to kill you because you were too close to them like yes. the guy yeah, who well, ran the a- sorry go ahead no the general who organizes well, yeah, he, uh, not really fair to say he organizes the defense of Madrid but he, he, he gets the credit for it at the time and then He's called Kleber. Kleber's not his real name, but mm-hmm. that, that's a name that he, they all use different names. And then suddenly, fuck it, like, they, they make him up to this big thing, right? Like, Kleber, the savior of Madrid. And then two months later, he's been accused of Kleberism, which is like <laughs> promoting oneself in the media. And I'm not saying he was blameless because he was, it, it, yeah. in many ways, deeply at fault. But yeah, maybe stop purging your own side. Yeah. And hot tips yeah, I could, from cool yeah. people. Cool mm, tips from cool people did cool stuff. Purges, generally speaking, not a positive verb. There's um Yeah. Any way you cut it, yeah, wow, fuck. Yeah. Don't be purging. Yeah. I was gonna say it. Yeah, don't do it. Um so the uh the Magpaps first saw action at Fuente de Ebro. Uh preparing for the assault was probably an absolute nightmare for Chaikin, uh, because the fuel didn't arrive for the f- trucks to take them to the front, right? And as he's a quartermaster mm-hmm. and later an armorer, so like it's his job to organize, like getting the people the stuff that they need. Uh-huh. Uh, so one imagines that this was something of a, a bit of a, a blow to him. So they, they instead had to march, right? And they look like a wagon train from a Western movie. Like they're, they're marching across the dry plains. It's this giant plume of dust. Like it's very obvious where they're going. Yeah. Um, they end up fighting at Belchite, where uh, they develop the ineffective, 
the innovative tactic of um, so what would happen would be that generally they would hole up in the church, right? The, mm-hmm. the Francoist troops would, because it had thick old medieval walls. Yeah. Uh, and so they developed the innovative tactic of rolling their anti-tank guns right up to the church, pressing them up against it and shooting through the walls that way. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be good for the hearing. No. But yeah, it, it, incredible. Like it, they, they fought like house to house, room to room. This is their first introduction to combat, right? The, the people who, um, on the way to the battle, they pulled over, got out of the truck, and each got five rounds so they could learn to use the gun. <laughs> like, like, this is the, uh, they're, they're not like hugely uh, professionally prepared. Uh, so I'll say, well, aren't they Americans? But then I'm like, ah, New York City, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Not that, um, incidentally, some of the guns they used were made in America, sold to Tsarist Russia, sold by Tsarist Russia to Mexico, and then reimported um, by the Spanish Second Republic from Mexico. So they're really good modern weapons. Is what mm, I'm yeah, George Orwell fucking loved them. That's they, they were Mosins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. George Orwell absolutely loved a Mosin the gun. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, for for the time, they were fine. They were very happy to have them compared to some yeah. of the other stuff they had. Fair enough. They uh, you can also read if anyone's ever like bought an old military surplus gun. Often they come in cosmoline, which is like a thick goo. Um, and you want to clean that off before you use it. And you can read in their accounts that they don't clean it off. And like, they're all getting burnt from when they start using it. The barrel heats up and it leaks out. Oh, Jesus. And, so it's just burning oil coming yeah, out of the barrel. Yes. And they're probably like slipping on it and then like, like dropping it and then like yeah. <laughs> slipping in the fucking grease. Yeah, which is not what you want your first time Ugh. being shot at. Uh, they also no. took part in like a, a very experimental like vehicle-borne infantry attack. Uh, you still see the Russians doing this, right? They'll sit on top of tanks mm-hmm. uh, when this is just their doctrine. They, the first time this happened was with the MacPaps. Uh, unfortunately, the tanks got stuck in the mud, and so that went pretty badly for them. Uh, they also took part in the Battle of Teruel, which is... Battle begins, actually, with a scene that probably inspired Hemingway's book For Whom the Bell Tolls. Uh, there are these two guys called Irving Goff and Bill Alto. Uh, Bill Alto was gay, Mm-hmm. And it just does not seem to have been like computable for Hemingway. Like he just, he's just like, nope, not, not putting that in there. Uh, <laughs> it's a short word. He should like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> um, um, it's really sad what happened to Bill Alto, actually. Like this guy, he trains to be a guerrilla in Moscow, comes back to Spain and does these behind enemy lines, blowing up bridges. Mm-hmm. That's sick. Yeah, it's very cool. And then he comes back and he's basically... They, one of his comrades finds out he's gay and, and gives him up to the Communist Party and they reject him and it's fucking like I, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with people I fuck every part of that okay yeah like it, what, the, what the fuck are you doing this dude is literally yeah. like was prepared to die next to you and kill for you and, and here you are um, yeah and he, uh, it, this was there were a lot of gay people in, in the international brigades right the commander of one mm-hmm. of the British battalions was gay people and it was known like it wasn't a secret yeah, uh, the Comintern didn't like it, but like there was still that the, they weren't entirely controlled by the Comintern, and like the people were good at what they were doing, and they were good at killing fascists, and it wasn't of paramount concern. Yeah. So when in doubt, what yeah. some centralized authority in Russia says you should do <laughs> yeah. isn't what you should do. Yeah, yeah, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, especially if they've already given you guns, they can't stop you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the guns are for. Yeah, <laughs> and actually another fun purge story. So, like, 
that <laughs> Christmas, right, at, just before the Battle of Terrorworld, Paul Robeson mm-hmm. visits the Macpaps and sings them a song, uh, mm-hmm. probably some songs. Uh, and then he goes back to Paris to perform a concert uh, to, to raise funds for international brigades. And that's when uh, the, the purges of the old, quote unquote, old, uh, old Bolsheviks started. Mm-hmm. And he hears about it just before he goes on stage. And he's like, fuck you, I'm not doing a concert. <laughs> like, Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting guy, Paul Robeson. A lot to read about him in Spain too. Uh, the next day after they raged, uh, he had a concert and then they all got drunk. Their commander got them up and made them march through the snow so they would wake up. Franco diverted his troops from Madrid to Terwell and that began a battle that was every bit as freezing and every bit as terrible as Stalingrad. And it probably should have provided the world with a vision of what was happening, but the world wasn't paying attention. Franco reported when he ca- that he'd captured the city. He hadn't. Uh, British reporter Kim Philby. Uh, Kim Philby was actually a spy who was actively trying to kill Franco at the time. <laughs> but was reporting from the nationalist side. And he tried to go into Terrell thinking that it had been liberated because Franco had just been bullshitting about this. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it gets So he's going shot. in as a fascist. Yeah. But he's not yeah, a fascist. He's not he's actually trying a fascist. To kill. But he's trying to kill Franco. He gets shot. Uh, but survives and is given a medal by Franco for his bravery, which he oh my God. plays off this medal to spy on fascists for decades. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He, he managed to do all this work in the UK because he's like, this, this, this recognition by Franco allows him to be a communist spy in the United Kingdom for years. <laughs> People are fucking wild. Yeah, it's just, yeah, this guy's like ping pong ball, like following his trajectory is just insane. So Chicken and his unit spent New Year's Eve speaking on, sleeping on a hillside above the town. Soon one in 10 of them would have frostbite. Local anarchists joined them and they taught the, the foreign volunteers taught the local anarchists how to clean their rifles and fin- fill sandbags. A- apparently, for some reason, the anarchists had not been taught and didn't know how to clean their rifles until this point. So, like, it's a ma- major bonus to their operational capability. And, Yay! Yeah. So they, uh, they moved to this position, like, overwatching the fiercest of the fighting. And they watched this young unit of Catalan anarchists who have all arrived in alpagatas, which are like rope-soled sandals. Uh, and they watch these guys attack. And allegedly, like, this is this incredibly brave thing where like, they're supposed to retreat and they refuse to retreat because they're not going to leave their friends behind. And uh, even the German communists... So the Germans had this idea... The German Thalaman unit in the International Brigade had this idea that they were very disciplined communists and superior mm-hmm. to all the other units and superior to the anarchists. And then these German, like... I don't want to say tankies, but like authoritarian communists like applaud mm-hmm. these anarchists for their battle in uh, at World. Like, okay, so this gets into my theory that yeah. despite the anarchists being incredibly anti-Catholic in Spain, um, the fact that they were so diehard, yes, yeah, yeah, it is not a coincidence <laughs> that it was a Catholic country. It is not a coincidence that they all come from this Catholic heritage. This that idea is like, of like martyrdom and yeah, and like. And even the like, do what's right, not what's safe, you know, yes, that is like yeah. part of the Catholic, like at least the cultural conception of Catholicism, not necessarily church doctrine or whatever. So I like, I don't think it's a coincidence that the place where the anarchists are like, sometimes not intelligently throwing themselves at machine gun nests, but you will not lack for courage no, in this it, space. Yeah, yeah, it continually keeps happening that they'll just like... It, 
keep doing the attacks and we'll be like, what the fuck, bro? Like, no. And, and they'll be like, well, yeah. we're not stopping now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, it is comic and like tragic comic, but yeah, this idea of like propaganda of the deed and uh, like anarchism yeah. as political religion, like it's, it's hard not to see it in some of this shit. Yeah. And um, so by the end of the battle, when they end up fighting like in the town, house to house, uh, nearly 300 of Achaikin's unit have died, right? Like it, it's an absolute yeah. fucking bloodbath. And yeah. temperatures drop to below minus 20. And his unit Celsius. Is Celsius, yeah. I think, isn't that roughly where they come together, though? Like, I don't 20, know. 24. I don't know Celsius below Sophie's, zero. Sophie's nodding. She's a big temperature understander. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah, I trust okay. you. I yeah. understand Celsius between zero and 40. Outside these extremes, I do not understand Celsius. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm, okay. It's cold yeah. as shit. It's, it's Everyone's cold getting as frostbite. Everyone's fucking yeah. dying. Yeah. Uh, at some point, Alchicken has started. Uh, he got a leather jacket from somewhere. You can see he he does look stylish as fuck in some of the pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a beret. He's smoking a pipe. Uh, Jenny knitted him gov- gloves and a scarf and sent them to him. And she also sent him a box of Fanny Farmer chocolates for Christmas. No. Apparently, yeah. Uh, he spent hours trying to maintain their. They had Maxim guns, which were pretty unreliable. Uh, more mm-hmm. unreliable when you have fucking fascists pouring sand into them because you're busy purging anarchists. Uh, yeah. And the, the most in the gun rifles that we spoke about. Um, he also issued them their rations. Uh, I found a list of their rations because it interests me. They get a can of Argentine beef, three loaves of bread, one pack of French cigarettes, and a jar of apricot jam that was carried like as a squad. <laughs> you shared the apricot wow. jam. Yeah. So okay. Pretty cultured stuff. Um, so they end up back at Belcheat where they see the first ever like a Blitzkrieg style attack. Uh, they they're basically attacked by like combined tanks, airplanes, and infantry, right? Which is which what becomes Blitzkrieg. Uh, but again, because like the world isn't paying attention, the world continues mm. to be fucking shocked by this in the Second World War, right? So they end up more or less routed by this, right? Like they, they don't know what the fuck to do. The, the world has never seen this before. And at 1.2 of their machine gun crews are stranded completely by themselves and end up holding off thousands of soldiers. Like They're on top of a set of cliffs, so they're just mm-hmm. like firing until they run out of ammunition and then they're all captured and executed. And they do, keep retweet, but they keep retreating, but they couldn't retreat faster than the tanks and airplanes could move forward. So every time they try and set up to defend somewhere, they'd be overwhelmed and they'd have to retreat again. Yeah. Um, they were being, basically they had their backs to the sea, right? They're, they're being chased towards the ocean. And as this is all happening, they start to receive the news that Hitler's invaded Austria and the world still hasn't done anything. So it's got to have felt like a pretty, pretty hopeless time. Um, yeah. Uh, I've got a clip here from Tom Page uh, describing what that felt like. Who's Tom Page? So Tom Page, sorry, it's, it's, another of, uh, it's another Lincoln Brigade volunteer. Um, he's interviewed for this film called The Good Fight, which is a fantastic film. It's on, uh, it's on YouTube for free. Uh, cool. And I want to uh, play a little bit from him explaining how that felt. Other people don't want to win. Slept under a little bit of straw. No blanket over you, but you're going to win. Wearing a pair of overalls. And it's cold in Spain. It's very cold in Spain. But you want to win and you stay. So yeah, so they were cold, right? They didn't have anything to eat. They didn't have anywhere mm-hmm. to sleep. And the nights would get cold and the days would still get up to triple digits, right? And every town they got to was captured before they arrived. Finally, the 
very few of them who survived arrive at this town called Caspe, right? And Caspe, they're supposed to organize a defense. Like they're told they're, like, they're not allowed to go back any further. Um, all of the machine guns that he'd spent forever trying to fix had been abandoned. Uh, and they were so sort of, people had even abandoned their guns, right? As an, in an effort to run away. Uh, so what they started doing was picking up rocks, throwing them over a wall and shouting grenade. The shot putter re-enters the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is when it, the shot putter returns. They were hoping that people would like think they were grenades and run away. <laughs> that rules. Like, so yeah, when I was six, I, uh, I did that too. But yeah, it's kind of sad that that's what they ended up doing. Yeah. Um, some of his unit were actually injured and then deliberately run over by an Italian tank. Uh, so like really Fuck. Ter- uh-huh. terrible shit happens at Caspe. And they end up all making a stand at the railway station, right? That's where the end, where the last of the, the Mac Paps end up. Uh, when the railway station was captured, so was Al Chaikin, and it's probably shortly after that that he was executed. And so I want to talk a little bit about, uh, like, I guess after some of his comrades came back, after the people who had seen this, the people who he'd, he'd fought with in Spain came back. They were harassed, bullied, chased out of work. Many of them weren't allowed to fight in the Second World War because they were called premature anti-fascists, right? Yeah, that's the best... Uh, that's the best... Best kind name. of anti-fascist. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And it, 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 yeah. It's the best example of how the United States is not an anti-fascist nation. Yes, no, fuck, can we... Yeah, okay, yes, you're like the segregated army that fought the Second World War was not mm-hmm. an anti-fascist army. Like, it is inherently yeah. not anti-fascist to, to segregate your military like that. And like, yeah, uh, there are examples actually of black folks who are extremely, like, tactically astute, right? The, the Abraham Lincoln uh, Battalion, the American Battalion International Gauge was led by a black officer. And they weren't, like, there were black people who were taken to, like, train military officers. Uh, Walter Garland was one of them. And uh, he was training military officers in like how to oppose this blitzkrieg stuff that he'd seen. Yeah. Uh, what, one of them called him a slur, so he punched the officer uh, and got <laughs> like, like then, then, so then he got booted out of his job, right? Like then he can't. Yeah, what's because it's more important to be racist than to learn how to stop a blitzkrieg. Yeah, right. Like thousands of people probably die because we lost this knowledge, right? Because yeah, we have to be deferential yeah. to pricks. I want to play another clip here where we just, um, I'm going to let Bill, Bill Bailey, by the way, is a fantastic human being. He, uh, he climbed onto the front of a German boat in 1935 that landed in New York, uh, mm-hmm. f- fought off the security guards, and then ripped down the swastika from the front of the boat and tore it apart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, got the shit kicked into him by NYPD while thousands of people cheered him. Uh, I've- Fucking course. That also, yeah, the fact that the cops <laughs> yeah. are going to kick the shit out of you for like... Yeah, well, you can't, the one thing that we've learned is that pro- violence to property is also property. I learned that on Twitter. It's also violence, sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's the same. It's the same if someone burns down an abortion clinic or tears up a swastika. Yeah. Yep. So I want to pay a little clip from Bill Bailey here. It was, well, it was hard holding a job down. It was very difficult. In my particular case, we had been wiped out of the uh, unions seagoing union, we couldn't sail on a ship, uh, we couldn't get Siemens paper, our Siemens papers. Uh, Coast Guard de- denied us that on a basis that uh, were uh, Reds uh, had fought in Spain or something along that line. Uh, every job you went to, no matter where, where I worked, I'd last a week or two weeks the most, and then the FBI would hound you and you'd lose your job. 
And this went on and on and on and on and on uh, for almost a period of 10 years. You know, really, 10 years of this stuff. So as a revolutionary, you must expect all of this type of stuff. Missing meals, losing a job, uh, being kicked out of your house, etc. I mean, that's the way it is, you know. It's not always going to be like that. One day we may change everything. Yeah. We hope. So for the last thing I want to want to leave you with, uh, I want to play a clip from Jenny Bermachekin, who was Al Chakin's wife, talking about like, why he decided to go to Spain and how she felt about it. I was proud. I thought it was important for him to go. I was scared. I was ambivalent. I remember lying awake nights and thinking, is there any possible reason why maybe I could dig up a reason why he shouldn't go? You know, is there something wrong with him physically? Will it be dangerous for him to go? And as a matter of fact, he did have a, a, a disc problem in the knee. And it would slip out. You know, and once in a while, you know, he really had, would have to bend over and bring it back into line, you know. And I thought to myself, he had been examined. He went to a doctor because that was required of any of the men who were going to Spain. They really had to have a clean bill of health. And I remember when he came back and said, you know, doctor said, I'm okay and I'm going. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if the doctor knows about that knee and maybe I ought to go and tell the doctor about that knee. And then I thought to myself, you know, if I do this, I won't live with myself and Chick would never forgive me. And so I didn't. So he went and we communicated with each other and I knit him some gloves and I knit him a scarf and I sent them to Spain and he got it and he got a box of Fanny Farmer candy and we got letters back and forth and we got some pictures. And when I was in Spain in August, that was a month after he went, I saw him, spent some time with him. Uh, and then beginning with January of 1938, there was no mail. And I used to visit the headquarters of, you know, the office of the vets. Was there any information? And there was no information. And uh, I was convinced that it couldn't happen to him, you know, just couldn't happen to him. But it did happen. And uh, it was a hard time for me, and it was a hard time for anybody who lost people in Spain. At the same time, it was always, always been a matter of pride. You know, we all have to die. And I've always thought that, you know, so you die younger, you die older. If you die for a good reason, then, you know, it's not that bad. And I have, you know, always been able to live with that. That's so fucking good. No, she just, she nails it. You know, like, it's hard because it's like, yeah, like, she wants to stop him from going, but... She she knows it's not right, you know, and that's so fucking human. Both I don't I don't know that just that makes me kind of teary. Yeah, that one that film makes me so sad um, because there are all these people who are just more or less right about everything and incredibly committed to being right and willing to die or or kill for things that it should be universal but aren't, and so many of them just end up fucking dead. Uh, but none of them, none of them ever back down from being like no we were right it was right yeah and it it was all worth it even if we didn't win like it, it's it's really cool has anyone this is a tangent yeah has anyone done the work of like because spain right like like they tried to have a coup like we we lost the spanish civil war 
right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. Spain became fascist for decades. And but Spain also didn't really get involved too much in World War II. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it uh, to me, not a historian. It seems like those are related that they had to fight like crazy. Like if the coup had just won, had just worked, would Spain have been involved in World War II? You know, on the fascist side, and like. I'm, I mean, I'm always looking for, I'm, I'm looking for a version of the world where like chick sacrifice, like, like changes the war. And I don't know if that's true or not, but. I mean, yeah, Spain was pretty crippled. So they weren't able to also they what they would have given to the fascists would have been less than what it would have cost them to have another front kind of thing because they were so uh, crippled okay. by the war. Right. Yeah. Actually, some of his comrades came back and were trained as special forces in the U.S. and were supposed to be inserted into Spain as guerrillas in the event that Spain did join the war. So in that sense, if Spain had, then the US wouldn't have just acquiesced in Franco's dictatorship for decades, right, under this sort of farcical anti-communism shit. And like, you can read Peter Peter Carroll's book is really good about this, where he talks about like how the, the volunteers who survive and come back to the United States spend the next, until they die, all of them being like, why the fuck are you not doing anything about Spain? Why are you ignoring Franco's dictatorship? What are you yeah. doing about the refugees? Like, it defines nearly all of their lives, right? Like, Alva Bessie, who's a, who was a very successful screenwriter in Hollywood, is still campaigning for this, like, until um, until he dies. Like, they, they almost yeah. all are. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really sad to see, like, A, that it's not studied very much, and, and it's largely forgotten, and, and obviously, B, like, the, the way the world kind of ignores their foresight and their insight into this and like even in the 1950s right they're persecuted like uh, under mccarthyism yeah. rather than being like no you guys kind of called this and we're sorry that we didn't listen to you yeah they can never admit they're wrong so, no. yeah it's sad they yeah they, they're cool and interesting people i'd encourage folks to read more about them that's about all i have for you but yeah people should uh people should watch the good fight it's free on youtube so do sports, fight Nazis, and let your loved ones take risks. Yeah. Those, those are, are the things. lessons. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool if that was like a triathlon, you know, or a pentathlon. <laughs> <laughs> Check a bagpipe in there and uh, like, <laughs> get four sports. See, I just think you should have to do them all at once, you know? Like all oh, yeah. of them should be mounted. Yeah. Um, yes. Horse. You know, horses doing pistol. the swimming. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. the bagpipes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That would be strenuous. I, You know, it, it's not for the faint of heart. Nope. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't have to be for everyone. Yeah. It just has to be for you, listeners. Yeah. You know what is for everyone, though? What's that, Sophie? Your pluggables. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not for everyone, actually. It's my fucking book because it costs an obscene amount of money. Uh, I, I've, got, I've got it written down somewhere here it's, it's a lot of dollars so um, libraries are for everyone I would love it if you would go to your library and ask them uh, if they could maybe obtain a copy of my book about the Popular Olympics which is called The Popular Front and the Barcelona 1936 Popular Olympics yeah that's my pluggable <laughs> comparing the name it's, it has a hard to follow that's the name of your book and then yeah. the name of the book that I'm going to pitch is Escape from Insel Island <laughs> <laughs> it's a similar vibe. It's a yeah, you know, in a way. No. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Look, uh, if if the incels had been in Spain, we all know what fucking team they'd have been on. 
Margaret, yeah. the other day I was on the phone with James and James literally says to me on the phone, well, actually, and um, <laughs> I was doing a voice. Wasn't it was, it was and, and, uh, that, and that's my version of in a way. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it technically people can uh, still pre-order or if you're, this is the future or order, order the order your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can either Where? pre-order it or regular order it. Um, if it's pre-order, you got to get it on tangledwilderness.org, which means if you're listening to this when it came out, you probably got to get it there. Mm-hmm. But if not, you can get it wherever books are sold, probably. That's the fun thing about like small presses that work with major distributors is that it is available yeah. wherever books are sold. But that doesn't mean anyone will necessarily have it. So you could also go to a library um, because... Actually, small press books are really expensive right now. It's a very short book. Yeah. You can read it in an afternoon, but it is a $20 book because the fucking economics and inflation and blah, 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 blah. That is totally what you all checked in to this podcast to hear me talk about is mm-hmm. the wow. economics of book publishing. Wow. Book yeah. Maybe if there's a coup and a subsequent revolution, you could get Margaret's book for free. That's true uh you could also probably come up with a way to get my book for free especially if certain places carry it <laughs> yeah but you know whatever um yeah. use your imaginations yeah. yay <laughs> libraries cool people who did cool stuff is a production of cool zone media for more podcasts from cool zone media visit our website coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l e e s a dot slash iHeart.